1: Have we recovered from that one yet? I, I don't even know. That was a weird one with the Cincinnati Bengals and the New England Patriots. Bengals pull out the win, 22-18, to 18 in one of the weirdest scores that you could possibly get in the NFL. So unique that it has never happened before, John Sheeran. Merry belated Christmas, my friend. Uh, happy Hanukkah to those out there celebrating that. And happy early New Year! I'm Anthony Gazenza. As I mentioned, he's John Sharon. John, the Bengals keep their winning streak alive, move it up to seven games, and they are now 11 and four. And oh, by the way, they are in the playoffs.
2: Yeah, Merry belated Christmas to you. It was almost festivus on Saturday. Had festivus they had given up those five yards. It was so close. I'll let I'll peek the I'll peek back the curtain a little bit for everyone else when writing the recap. That whole second half, like. Like, this is a loss, right? Like, I, just watching it, everything that went down. On that final drive, the title of the article was Bengals Collapse the Patriots Lose 25-22. to 22. Like, it was written. <laughs> like, the entire thing was formatted. Like, the intro was like, oh, Bengals Collapse in like, the opposite fashion that they did last week to Tampa Bay. And then the defense, once again, makes another clutch play to the point where it's just the expectation now. And, yeah, seven-game win streak. Here we are.
1: Seven game win streak. We're going to talk about a lot of different things, including but not limited to different facets of this game, what we make of the end result of it. You know, in terms of you know viability of the Bengals and whatnot. Of course, some aftermath in terms of Leal Collins potential options there and more. All on the aftermath episode this week. Uh, we usually do this Monday with the holiday and whatnot. Things obviously get a little wonky, so we're doing it. At a little bit of a different time, and then later on tonight, you can go check out, in just a couple hours, uh, you can check out our boys, Bengal Jim and the gang, doing their thing, talking with Bengals.com editor Jeff Hobson, so you won't want to miss that one. And, of course, this show and others on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel, available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all of the major ones. We are there You got to go subscribe there, leave us a review if you could. And of course, if you like the video, you got to give a thumbs up on the Cincy Jungle Facebook page or beneath my guy John and that SB Nation logo down there. You can click the OBI logo, subscribe there, click the bell to be notified when we go live, when new content is available, and we will keep hammering you, peppering you with content. I mean, we... As you know, on, and on CincyJungle.com, my boy John, too. He was writing up stuff on Christmas Eve. I did a show on Christmas Eve. We are working hard for you, and hopefully you like what we're bringing you up. But regardless, it's not about us. It's about you. It's about the Bengals. And uh, Bengals come up victorious on this one, 22 to 18. Seems, uh, you know, I, I we'll take it. And, and we'll talk about what this win, you know, how you viewed the win in a little bit, but it's one of the things that I seem to notice this week, as opposed to weeks prior. And I don't know if this is the Bill Belichick effect. I don't know if it's because the Patriots passing defense was pretty strong going into this one and whatnot. Uh, there was a, there was some kind of, I don't want to call it alarming, but more perceived communication issues, John, between the Bengals receivers and Joe Burrow this week. Than in past weeks, in case in point, are the two interceptions. Uh, it appeared on the Tyler Boyd one as he was going inside. Boyd kind of stopped. Burrow thought he was cutting in further, and Burrow threw that pick across the middle there. And then the chase, that what ended up being the pick six, looked like Burrow thought he was cutting out to the sideline. Instead, he jets up the field, so there's a miscommunication there, and that kind of started the whole comeback thing by the Patriots. So that was a little concerning for me this week because that's just not something you see very often between Burrow and these guys who have played together, be it college or in pros now, for, you know, a handful of years apiece.
2: It sucks that, you know, both of those led to the two turnovers in this game, or I guess two of the three turnovers in this game still fifty two passes complete like forty of them obviously very efficient and like 77%. Category. Yeah. 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 I, I, I'm, I'm going to just say this and I don't blame Tyler Boyd at all. I really think he just felt the hit coming and he just didn't finish the route. And I totally get it. Sometimes like quarterbacks, like we saw it for years with paid Manning and Austin Collie specifically, I think paid Manning concussed Austin Colley like 10 times with passes over the middle. <laughs> and yeah. McCordy was just charging in there like a raging bull. He was going for the ball or the hit, whatever the case may be. And I felt like Boyd, maybe sensed it and kind of let up a little bit. Um, maybe I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt, but like I totally understand that. With the other interception, that was definitely miscommunication for sure. And I, I feel like on those third and longs, when you have a, a pressure or blitz look, which is what the Patriots had, which is, it was like the exact same pre-snap look that the, the Bengals had against the Bucks a week earlier when Trey Flowers got the interception. They had man coverage in the back, and they loaded the box. And instead of dropping back eight, they blitzed. So... I assume that the Bengals have some type of alert call. When you have that blitz, you don't have enough time to really just launch a go ball down there. So I think against that pressure look, the call is to have a back shoulder type of a comeback route. And Chase just wasn't on the same page. It definitely looked like Burrow just kind of laid it up there and didn't really care. But I feel like that was the design route against that pressure call. And unfortunately, Chase wasn't on it, but I feel like Chase had a solid game aside from that, and, you know, the fumble was the fumble. That's that's a rarity nowadays, so I'm not too worried about those yet because, like, you know, it was 2 out of 52 passes, I guess.
1: 2 out of 52, yes, that is true, and here is the... Uh, I'll, I'll play this here for folks. The, the video we're talking about, at least with the Chase one, I've got this pulled up via Twitter here, and uh, we can check it out, but, I mean, it looks... Like you said, like you said here, um,
0: in New England territory,
1: we'll turn the volume down on that, but uh, you know, he and then it and then it just kind of flutters out there, right? Uh, and then it just disaster from there. So, um, I'm sure it'll kind of show it again here as he goes all the way into the end zone, but yeah, I mean, really, you see Chase kind of scooting upfield and and Burrow. Uh, thinking he's going outside, and as he goes outside, because if you see there too, he kind of had a little bit of a, an opening to the outside, but just didn't work there. Regardless, um, not not a good play, and it kind of kickstarted the Patriots coming back to win that or not win, but uh, almost winning that one there. So uh, I, I just noticed that as kind of something that where I felt was was a little concerning. Um, but with that, John. Trent Irwin stepping up in a big way and was just so close, so close to a hat trick, so close to a hat trick. Uh, I don't know if that was Boyd, if Boyd makes that catch in lieu of, of Irwin in the slot there. I don't know, but a nice, uh, a nice play initially um, with the seam round and then another nice little uh, play, a little out route to the right side of the end zone there. And then almost had another that really would have put the game away to, regardless of, how the Patriots ended up playing uh, in those final two quarters. If the Bengals got that touchdown, it kind of would have put the game well out of reach. Did not happen, but Irwin stepping up nicely, making a couple nice plays, two touchdowns on three catches this week.
2: And he earned that opportunity. He scored his first touchdown on that exact same call, just splitting the two safeties there on that seam route. And bro, his throw was just a hair longer than Irwin was expecting it. But I feel like this game was a great example. Right. It was a great example of like, this narrative that Burrow is getting carried by his receivers. This game was the exact opposite of that because not only did you have that drop, you also had Jamar Chase down the left sideline. He dropped one where it kind of hit his shoulder pad because again he was yeah. expecting it a little bit for like a foot out in front. There was a T. Higgins drop in the end zone. There was I I don't know if you I don't I don't know if you want to call it a drop for Chase in the end zone when he was going up with it for one hand. But Joe Burrow easily could have had five touchdowns in this game and he could have had a lot more yards even though he already had three hundred seventy five on like the second rank pass defense and some of his, some of his receivers just if he was truly being carried by his receivers then they make those catches right even if it's not a perfect pass then they're doing everything in their power to to get the ball Teagan's had a great game and those two jump balls were were phenomenal to see but this was one of Joe Burrow's best games and even if the stats were as good as they were like they could have even been better and I feel like that may get lost in the aftermath of this game, because he had the two interceptions, because he had the pick six, that's just un- unfortunately what New England does, right? They have six defensive touchdowns this season. They just take advantage of those opportunities. It helps that Marcus Jones is this freak athlete who plays all over the field on all three phases, and that's just a testament to how special of a player he is. But two interceptions be damned, it was one of the best Burrow performances I've seen, especially when you factor in the weather. That ball is hard to catch. It's hard to throw when it's that cold and windy outside, so... Every, taking everything into account, the competition, the environment, I was really impressed with Burrow this week.
1: I was too, and you know the kind of the talking point you've seen a lot of people say, and I would agree with is that man, even his uh, even his incompletions were impressive, right? I mean, you talk about the the just miss to Irwin and the incompletion to Chase that bounced off his shoulder pad and whatnot, um, you know. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's something to kind of marvel. And oh, Bill Belichick, he's, he gets these guys, uh, these defensive backs seemingly, I mean, it's a third round pick here. Uh, You know, he's, he's had all these other guys that come in and out of there that ended up being pretty good defensive backs that aren't necessarily always high picks. So uh, he knows how to, how to get some, some talent there. That's for sure. But Irwin stepped up nicely. Uh, Man, I thought, I thought Higgins was awesome with those 50, 50 balls, like you said. And then Of course, John, you know, I mean, it's easy to sit here now and say like, oh man, you know, not the, maybe not the strongest performance by the defense because of the comeback, but that's not really the case because the defense was only, had only allowed basically 12 points in this game. The other, the other eight or six, I guess, came from, uh, you know, the, the pick six, right? So, um, I mean, they they played really well. Ramondre Stevenson, I think, had 30 yards rushing. Um, there was one run play by Bourne, who had like a 29-yarder and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, they stifled the run. They got the turnover at the end. And then, of course, you know, when you only let up 12 points as the defense, your special teams is letting you down in terms of leaving points on the board. And then you miss a couple of big plays on offense. Even more pressure on this defense to kind of keep this thing together and win.
2: I mean, six points, like you said, was Marcus Jones pick six. Other six points was maybe the luckiest Hail Mary I've ever seen. That was played (laughs) very well by the Bengals. And unfortunately, Bourne just happened or Jacoby Myers just happened to be there at the right time. Kendrick Bourne looked like Jason Bourne out there with some of those catches. Like He was playing <laughs> out of his mind on some yeah. of those deep balls. Yeah. So, like, I get it. Like, it's not great to allow some of those deep catches to Bourne. And there was a couple of lapses in there. But you still gave up, in my mind, like six true points to the Patriots offense because they couldn't get anything going in the first half. Like, they had, like, three first downs. They had, I don't know, like less than 100 passing yards at most in the first half it was a completely lopsided performance and largely largely because the Patriots just couldn't do anything offensively and that's a testament to how well the Bengals defense played and I feel like they played just as good in the second half and they let up just a little bit at the end there they allowed some long drives and eventually the Patriots got into the red zone and Taylor Britt as well like he was targeted nine times in this game and I felt like this was the quintessential rookie game from him because he flashed a lot of great talent in terms of finding the ball for the first time. I, I really feel like there was a couple of deep pass breakups that he had, but also we couldn't find the ball in the back of the end zone. And he had his back turned, and Mac Jones just targeted the back of his helmet, and Kendrick Bourne came down with the touchdown. So you kind of take the good with the bad right now with Taylor Britt. You're still going to see those rough reps, and until he gets more consistent and just a little bit better, quarterbacks are going to continue to test him, and he's going to continue just getting better or maybe just – trying to find himself as he keeps getting targeted so that's just the state of the defense right now you have cornerbacks who are susceptible to getting beat on some of these routes but you still have a front seven that's playing really well together even with only about 20 or so snaps from trey hendrickson and
1: that's a good segue into what i think was one of my favorite things about the defensive performance this week and that is four sacks on mac jones now part of that is mac jones is not mobile at all um yeah Part of it is that the Bengals were getting after it, and it's nice to see, John, when you have Hendrickson on a limited snap count, you don't have Sam Hubbard. What you have is Osai and Carter splitting a a sack. You have Josh Tupo getting in there for a sack. You have uh, Logan Wilson grabbing one as well, and then, of course, Cam Sample, who had a nice game as well. Cam Sample was one of the top-rated PFF scorers by the Bengals this week as well. So, um, what—that's the kind of stuff you want to see with your star players out, guys, kind of stepping it, stepping it up, and making some different things happen with those guys resting or on a on a limited snap count. And that's what a lot of players were able to do for the Bengals this week on defense.
2: Yeah, twelve combined pressures from hendrickson sample and aside mind you hendrickson only rushed the passer i believe 19 times in this game but cam sample was a true starter i believe for the first time in his career and he played a star starters load of snaps and he looked really refined as a pass rusher in ways that we haven't really seen before now the patriots tackles aren't necessarily great or anything but i th- I think i saw a little bit more juice in his first step in his get off and i saw some some good things from joseph Asai too who i think had five of those 12 pressures that i mentioned so there wasn't a lot of, like, true, like, quick quality sacks. It was a lot of uh, guys just making it easier for others. I believe Zach Carter's sack was more of a cleanup because of the work from, from the other players as well. So it was just a, a really well-rounded team effort from this defense that, again, was not was without one of its best players and had to compensate for a limited role in transics. And I, I was a little surprised, Anthony, when he was out there for the first snap because you saw him, like, just not being as involved, but when he was out there initially, I'm like, oh, maybe he's playing this entire game, but I think that's maybe the plan for this week coming up.
1: Yeah. Uh, So, I guess the big question for me in this one, John, was I'm curious at how you look at this game and look at this result because I mean, I know everybody, of course, the easiest thing to say is a win is a win and I don't really care how they got it and style points aren't a thing or whatever. I I know, but I guess my, my thing is, did you look at this win and say, man, there are some you know, kind of cracks in the armor, so to speak, and they're just kind of starting to really stumble through the, the, maybe what looks like a, a winning streak coming to the, to an end, and that's maybe a little concerning, especially with injuries playing a role in things as the season wears on. Here, or did you take this and say, "Wow, what what guts and fortitude and everything to kind of hang on and find a way to win?" I, I said this in my i I, I said this in my uh, good, bad, and ugly piece on Cincy Jungle that that Ramondre Stevenson thing could be one of those plays you look back when you document a season, you do a documentary on how a season played out, whether it's a Super Bowl winning season or just a special one in general, and you look at that play and you go, that's just kind of a play those good teams make, even if it's kind of fluky and lucky and all that kind of stuff. That's Those things bouncing your way seem to point to something good, generally speaking, but I still – I'm trying to navigate my feelings on this game here and the
2: result. Well, for one, I, I feel like the, like we talked about at the very beginning, like they are just, we're just so accustomed to seeing these plays be made by this defense. It's almost like, like, it's not really food to it's routine where we're just like, right. It's just routine. <laughs> now, granted Stevenson, I believe hasn't fumbled since what week one of 2021 when the Bengals had that clutch fumble against Dalvin cook at the, in that same week. So yeah, it was uncharacteristic, for Stevenson to find himself in that moment but backs up against the wall this defense has made a habit out of bailing this team out when its offense kind of lets up off the gas a little bit but I think in total if you had told if if either of us had said the final score of this game would be like 21 to 17 which I feel like both of our predictions were kind of around that we would kind of understand that right because again the Patriots defense a phenomenal unit even if they don't have as tremendous of star power as they used to have, like Matt Judon, Josh Uche, they got after the passer. Their secondary still played well as a unit together. Obviously T Higgins being six inches taller than Marcus Jones, that's a mismatch, but overall that secondary did end up stepping up at the end of the game. It just ended up being a lot more wackier than we expected because when you dominate like that in the first half, you think that, okay, this is going to be more of a cakewalk, but like we saw, it was the inverse of last week. The other team just ended up, you know, pulling up their bootstraps a little bit and just, you know, buckling down and playing a lot better. So in, in a totality sense, I feel like this game, from like a macro view, ended up about where we expected it. It's just the the flow of the game was definitely way more unorthodox than we were expecting. Weird. And yeah. yeah, and at the end of the day, they still did pretty well against a really good defense, and I feel like that's a positive. But if you want to play the old mentality, like man, we got our we got our butts kicked in for a half of football there, and we it was definitely like a wake up call that they needed. I feel like that's that's valid as well.
1: Right, I you know I guess I just didn't like the uh, the thing that really bothered me with this one were the, were the missed opportunities and we talked about this because this could have been way uglier than it was you know the the chase mm-hmm. bounce off the shoulder pad the chase fumble that that kind of kept him in the game uh, you know the the miss throw catch to to Irwin in the end zone for another touchdown there and that that was the most irritating sequence of plays There's a two play sequence there where you miss the touchdown throw to Trent Irwin, and then you trot out Evan McPherson to to take the field goal consolation prize. And then he misses that. And it's just, at that point, you're just like, Oh my gosh, how frustrating is this? So between the missed opportunities um, from some of your best, and that's what also worried me a little bit, you know, your best players are causing errors or involved in errors or missed points. Um, You know, that being burrow throwing two touchdowns, one being a pick six, you know, Boyd, Chase involved in a couple of turnovers there and then of course Evan McPherson leaving five points on the board there there's some there's some concern for me a little bit and I think that's where I'm like you know I guess I'm being a little nitpicky but and you take the wins obviously as they come and how they come regardless but uh, you know I I don't know that this kind of stuff's going to be able to fly against the Buffaloes maybe another matchup against Kansas City and that sort of thing coming up here.
2: No, absolutely not. Like, at the end of the day, these past two weeks have not been enough to beat, like, the truly good teams in the NFL. Like, I look at the Kansas City game where they went up pretty quickly and they established dominance, and while the Chiefs kind of came back, like, it wasn't because the Bengals, like, played terrible. Like, obviously, they left points on the board there, too. Like, Tyler Boyd had the drop, but it never really felt like they were, like, losing grip a grip on the game. You know, it felt like they were always in position – to really finish it off. And these past two weeks, like, they started terribly against the Bucks, and they finished terribly against the Patriots. And it's going to be hard to do that in the playoffs against the likes of the Bills and the, and the Chiefs again. So there's definitely lessons to be learned here. Um, but still, like, the, these have been two pretty good defenses that the offense has had to come up against, and the defense continues to be this this high-level unit despite the injuries. So, you know, it's, it kind of, it's, I think there's an equal amount of good and bad here to take away from it.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: All right. Well, one of the bad things to take away, unfortunately, is a big, big injury on the offensive line. Now, Leo Collins hasn't been uh, totally steady as the right tackle, but definitely a large improvement from what we saw last year. And one of the guys who was out there starting for the team at certain points is now slated to be his replacement in Hakeem Adeniji. The the shame of this, John, is that this offensive line has started to finally gel quite a bit. Um there's been less hits, less sacks on Burrow, that sort of thing. Definitely an imperfect unit, but uh, much better than last year. And they they just kind of feel like they're, they're, the communication finally feels like it's there. Guys were kind of getting in the right places and whatnot. And uh, Leo Collins takes a nasty hit. Someone rolled into his leg and uh, ended up blowing two ligaments in his knee. He is done for the year. Hakima Adenogy is in. And if you're looking for that jumbo package that extra lineman package, then now you got Max Sharping coming in there on that, on that regard. It looked like the, this week, at least that was the plan for this week. So I don't know, man, um, that's a big blow to this offense. Now, you know, I don't know how you feel now with the stepping in there. I like the fact that he's got starting experience, but he's been a lot of this in those starts.
2: Yeah. I'm interested to see how they handle those jumbo packages because Sharping had two penalties and nine snaps. He was active yeah. because, like, he was like the seventh lineman because they can only activate so many people. But once you have Lyle out of the picture, um, I-, I wonder if that extra activation goes to Deontay Smith and then he becomes the sixth offensive lineman. Um, but again, like, we won't we won't know that until it actually happens. When it comes to identity versus Collins, I feel like you're getting not the exact opposite player, but a player who wins and loses in the exact opposite ways meaning that like with the denogy he gets out of his stance so quickly it's like it's the one thing that he cares about like just getting down into your stance creating space getting out into space and then starting your set and it feels like that is his top priority and he gets out of sync with his hands and that's why sometimes you see him really late with his punches and he gets beat to the outside but also him getting out into space so quickly makes him susceptible to inside counters so i feel like if you just look at the like identity is an overall pass blocker. He is very similar to Jonah Williams where he is a little bit on the lighter side and that can lead to some issues against power, but he's not going to be a liability for getting beat around the edge. Whereas with Collins, he had no explosion out of his stance this year, whether it be from his back injury or anything else that kind of piled up like that has been his biggest concern. And he would lose the edge so often, even to the point where he was falling on his face sometimes. So that I don't think that's going to be an issue anymore. So now you have two tackles that kind of win and lose in the same way and Burrow has to adjust for that. I feel like at this point they had a good understanding of who Collins was and they were adjusting accordingly. Now it's like the opposite adjustment for him. Maybe he has to step outside of the pocket, maybe he has to step up a little bit more. So, we're going to see how that goes on, but from a totality standpoint, like I don't feel as if identity is going to give you completely worse production as a pass protector compared to Collins. The biggest difference might be in the run game because you won't get as much push with the energy as you did with Collins. Maybe you change the the blocking scheme up front and you run different run concepts in there. But I think obviously energy will have the benefit of preparing as a starter instead of being thrown in there and everything, everything kind of rushed. And, you know, I can't really blame him for having those bad reps being in that situation. But I think, I think we can both agree though, that his skill set is way better suited to that tackle compared to right guard. No one's really panicking with him being out of position like he was in the playoffs last year.
1: Would you? I mean, I kind of feel like, and I—I I don't know. This is kind of painting with a broad brush here, but uh, I kind of feel like the highs just aren't as high, and the lows maybe aren't as low uh, w- w- that we've seen sure. with with Collins. Uh, I, I just kind of feel maybe slightly higher floor and definitely a lower ceiling with with him, and I—I I do feel a, a more comfortable. Uh, and no offense, Isaiah Prince, but I do feel more comfortable with the Jenna playing tackle at this point in time than I did with Prince. Um, So, you know, I think that, 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 is something that uh you know and unfortunately a lot of teams have to try and overcome this kind of stuff especially this point in the season it's just a shame when you're trying to make this postseason run that this big injury occurs to one of your big ticket free agent guys and uh the good news is though it is a guy that has started at both tackle and guard in the nfl for the cincinnati Bengals, so he's going to have some experience and i don't think there's going to be a ton of communication lost between him and the rest of the group but definitely not an ideal situation and one of the talking points john and we'll get to a couple more headlines too in a little bit but one of the talking points that has now surfaced um, because of some interviews with big old number 77 andrew whitworth uh there is some kind of chatter you know might he come back to the Bengals? you know play for a competitor or whatnot uh here's the, here's the thing and i don't mean to be the, the bucket of ice water on everybody here he's not gonna play right tackle that's one uh so you'd have to then shuffle probably Jonah, I would think, over to right tackle at that point. So you're you're kind of replacing two positions there, both tackles. Maybe that's even something that works better for Jonah. I don't know, but regardless, this late in the season, tough to do that. Uh, he has to get out of the contract. I think he's still in some form of a contract as a retired player with the Rams. So you got to navigate that, and then you got to pay him probably a pretty good amount of money for a short. Little run here, but uh, I just don't think it's going to happen. I, I would, it would be really cool. It'd be an awesome story, and it would be incredible if you were to go in there and help the Bengals win a Super Bowl a year after winning one with the Rams. But I just don't see it as a realistic situation that's going
2: to happen. I mean, yeah, when when asked about Andrew, Zach, Zach Taylor laughed it off because the idea of bringing in at this point a TV host to start, not not just be a part of the team, <laughs> to start at offensive line after he hasn't been training he, he's worked he's a retired individual like he's not anywhere near football shape and, and if the argument is oh he can he can have two or three weeks if they get the bye to train up and just go back in there at left tackle it's completely unrealistic and all this is happening because he went on a podcast and said if the opportunity was brought back up to become the winningest offensive lineman in the history of the NFL. Right. right. And in this case it would be during a postseason run. Like he would be interested in that, but the practicality of it is just, it's, it's not there. Like I, I think Rob Gronkowski had like this cryptic tweet about like how he was bored. And there was a report that like two teams called him or like texted him If you're interested in coming back, play for us. I don't think that's the case for a 41 year old offensive lineman who again is at least to my knowledge, not working out and not anywhere close to, to being in football shape. It's a great story and it, it got traction because of what he said. So I guess there is somewhat of, of a smidgen of interest from the player side, but this has to be interest on both sides. And I don't think the Bengals are going to have that interest because they, again, they need a starting tackle and they need one who's ready to play right now. And that's just not worth
1: So any other
2: options that would intrigue you, you know, that
1: would be, at this point, a better option than identity I mean, there's there may be some players out there that could provide maybe a, a higher level of talent, perhaps, but I feel like familiarity brings a good, um, you know, is something that can't be sneezed at, you know what I mean? So I don't know if, if there's anyone else out there that you kind of say, hey, maybe the Bengals pursue this, that sort of thing, but right now I think it's identity and that's just going to be what it is and they'll roll with it.
2: Yeah, again, I think he's much better right tackle, or just any tackle position compared to to playing inside a right guard. And also, I saw some things against the Patriots where it's like the communication idea of this, like the passing off of stunts and twists, like that was still there because he has been practicing with the twos at offensive line or at offensive tackle. And that I don't think is going to be lost, replacing... Collins with identity it's going to be the physical limitation sure and that's just the case with going to any backup offensive tackle in this case but familiarity just familiarity with the scheme with the players that he's playing with like that's still pretty much there and the more he practices at that spot next to Alex Kappa the more in tune he's going to be with it so I feel like that is truly the best option it's never easy to bring an offensive lineman off the street like all I couldn't spend a couple of years ago it definitely took him a while to really settle his feet and play at the best that he could towards the later part of 2020 and I think when you're two weeks away from the playoffs there's just not a practical option at tackle to do that
1: right well let's get to a couple of other different headlines stemming from this game and obviously going forward as well be it with the Bengals and the AFC North we like to kind of take a quick uh, spin around this as we do at the beginning of the week here. I'm going to let you start with yours here, John, which was the snap count, uh, snap count article and maybe some trends you noticed in that this week. Obviously things looked, you, you note it right here at the jump here, new reality for the offensive line with Akeem energy, uh, you know, c- c- hope to continue that he's up to the task there. So there you go with that in the live chat, and we're, we're, we've are we're got this pinned up here. So tell, walk us through this a little bit because you do this weekly for Cincy Jungle.
2: Yeah, nothing that we haven't really already talked about, like the distribution of snaps between the defensive lineman with Cam Sample and Joseph Asai. That was interesting. It was obviously uh, Sample's like highest percentage of snaps played in a single game since being drafted. Joseph Asai um, pretty high up there with 35 snaps as well. Trent Irwin with his 37 snaps because it, I don't know if I don't know if you know more about this Anthony, but it was either a reaggravation of Tyler Boyd's injury or like a new finger that got kind of stumped there. So that was interesting to see him get call off the bench again for the 17th time this year. He's just really established himself as that wide receiver number four. And I guess something I didn't write didn't really write about, but it is kind of nice that the Bengals pick and choose these weeks to really feature someone new because of where they played yeah. in the past or if they have any uh, relationship with that team. But Devin Asiasi played 32 snaps against his former team in the New England Patriots. And I think he had like two of his four career catches against them as well. So they, they really do like to make an effort to try to involve these players in these time in, in these timely manners.
1: That's a good point about, you know, kind of new hero each week type of thing. Um, that's, that's a good point there. Yeah. But uh, you can check out the snap counts there. On Cincy Jungle and the link provided there, and then of course with that, John, uh, we've got some Joe Burrow MVP odds. He's kind of been hovering in that number three spot, and now he's jumped up to number two in terms of MVP odds. Obviously, these things would probably change depending on the result this week uh, against the Bills here, and then of course you know how the Bengals finish the, the rest the rest of the season there. So something to note, but that's the article right there.
2: Yes, yeah, so I believe like a month or so ago, he was like plus 1,100 to win MVP. Now it's plus 600. So Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes is still m- minus 500 or, or whatever, the, however you would read that. So he's still the clear favorite to win MVP. And this has kind of been the case over the past couple of weeks. And last week, I started to look at the advanced stats between Patrick and Joe since week three just to give like, either to not weigh the beginning of the regular season more or to also just put into account that Burrow wasn't himself. Ever since week three, though, like adjusted completion percentage, PFF grade, big-time throw percentage, touchdowns, average depth of target, yards per attempt, Burrow is just as good, if not better, than Mahomes in pretty much every single one of those categories. So if you value how you finish more than how you start, then Burrow probably should be closer in terms of like the conversation about who's playing the best at quarterback right now. I would still probably give it to Mahomes just because he didn't start out of the gate as sluggish as Burrow did. He's still Mahomes is still the greatest quarterback to ever play in the month of September, and that's probably the edge. But I, I feel like it should probably be closer um between the two of them in terms of the odds because it's how well Burrow's playing compared to Mahomes.
1: Yeah, and then you've got if you saw the graphic last night on Monday night football, Burrow and Allen's numbers in terms of total touchdowns, rush pass and interceptions and all of that. Uh those are pretty even too. So uh, you know, pretty, pretty tight race between Allen and Burrow. It just uh, seems to be a pretty heavy favorite for Mahomes to win this award. Uh, a couple of other fun ones and, or, well, this one isn't so much fun. I guess we'll end on the fun one for the, from the Bengals side of things. This is uh, something that became a talking point here. And this is Mac Jones facing the potential fine for a dirty hit on Eli Apple. It was on that uh, tuck rule, weird, weird play between, um, you know, where Mac Jones... I thought it looked like a fumble at second look, but here he is. He will be fined, is the latest update from everybody's best friend, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk. Mac Jones is going to be fined over $11,000 for a low block on Bengals cornerback Eli Apple. Seemed to me, John, it was pretty unnecessary. Going for the knees didn't need to happen, especially on a play that didn't even end up counting on top of that. So... You know, to me, I, I don't really feel sorry for Mac Jones here. I think he did something that was just kind of unnecessary. And I didn't really know, but apparently, this has kind of been something he's done before. Uh, twisting ankles and other things uh, has been caught on film from him, too.
2: Yeah, he's become the Grayson Allen of the NFL. And that's not a good thing. Like the, early in the season, there was a play against the Bears where he was sliding, as a QB does. And he literally kept his foot up and kicked someone in the nuts. And it was just so nonchalant, and no one really made a big deal about it. Which is like it was kind of like this, where when upon seeing it at first glance, you don't think it's dirty because uh, he's just a crafty player in that regard. He just knows how to get away with some of the stuff. But yeah, of course, he had no real reason to just dive in front of a fully sprinting Eli Apple from behind. Like that's like you can't block below the waist like that, anyways.
1: Yeah. Here it is. Here uh, meant to yeah. cue off the video there let's try and you'd see at the corner here he's going
2: to just dive
1: right there and kind of take out Eli
2: like I get it he doesn't want to block in the back and at that point but like I feel like being a quarterback you kind of don't really think that those rules apply to you sometimes and like you said he's kind of made a habit of just flying under the radar for just kind of really pushing the line here and yeah I don't really have any sympathy for him
1: Yeah, well, he did get fined over $11,000, so that is that. It is settled. He may appeal it. Who knows? But uh, as of now, he's going to take a a hit to the pocketbook. And then here you go here, Chad Johnson, friend of the show, Chad Johnson. uh, He's going to go to the Bills game. Are you going to the Bills game, John?
2: I am not. I do not have that kind of money. Okay.
1: Uh, He's going to be in the stands, is Chad. I'm sure he will be talking up fans and hanging out with people and doing the thing. Obviously, this is a marquee matchup. Huge for playoff seating implications and whatnot. But keep an, if you are going to the game, keep an eye out for old 85. He'll be cruising around. I'm sure he'll be cruising around the city, uh, I would assume, Saturday, Sunday, depending on when he gets out there, hanging out with people and uh, talking with the great folks of Cincinnati, as I'm sure he often does. He often does. Uh, kind of still, still a good ambassador for the team and everything there. it's uh, It's good to see him still be around the team and the team respond to him, show him the love. There, We'll get to some AFC North stuff quickly in just a minute, and then we'll start scooting on out of here before we do one last one on the Bengals. This is how the Bengals can clinch the AFC North in Week 17. Uh, obviously, a lot of us are looking at Week 18, that clash against the, the Ravens showing how the Bengals, I mean, that's just kind of a direct, hey, you know, you beat them head-to-head, and even if you have similar records or whatever, that's going to determine the AFC North. But there are some scenarios where the Bengals can clinch in Week 17. Um, Essentially, it would be them beating the Bills and the Ravens losing to the Steelers. Oh, by the way, John, Steelers-Ravens gets flexed into primetime. So... Basically, Bengals need to win. Ravens need to lose. And then on that scenario, John, we're talking about a Steelers team who may yet avoid a losing record, despite how poorly we thought that team was going to be. Unbelievable what they keep pulling out of their, well, we'll, we'll say their magic hat instead of a, a different area. <laughs> um, so, yeah, uh, that game is flexed. Ravens-Steelers to Sunday night. Bengals play Monday night, so essentially if Ravens lose, the Bengals win. That's kind of how the Bengals can clinch the North then.
2: I don't want to go through the mental gymnastics of figuring out how the Steelers can clinch a playoff spot, but they would have to go obviously win out, and then a bunch of other teams would have to lose. I think there's only one Can spot you imagine? There, so I mean, I can. I've seen it before. They then they get in with Duck Hodges. So like, did. like this is no this is no difference for me. But yeah, I think a lot of people said earlier in the year, before the season started, they're going to be at the bottom of the NFL. And like this is the Steelers; they don't normally do that, despite the quarterback play. So whether they finish eight and nine, nine and eight, another very middling year for that team, which is, which is their version of being at the bottom of the NFL.
1: Purgatory, yeah, absolute yeah. purgatory. Well, this is on Baltimore beat down the SB Nation Baltimore Ravens site, and they've got a lot of different things. But in case you had not heard with their win last week. A barn burner, seventeen to six against the Atlanta Falcons. The Ravens get into the playoffs. Um, there is a, you know, there there are potential scenarios depending on what happens where the Bengals could potentially play them, um, you know, early in the in the playoffs or what have you. So we'll have to keep an eye on things. But that team somehow got in the playoffs despite all the injuries, and really, they have not been impressive for really the last month or so uh, in terms of points scored who they've beaten, all kinds of things. I may eat crow or I may, I may eat Raven rather um going forward here. If the Bengals end up losing to him, if they've, you know, regular season or not, but man, they have not been impressing me at least.
2: Yeah. It doesn't help that you no. don't have your quarterback out there, but it doesn't. They've yeah, they found a way they found ways to win. And I feel like if you want to look at the likely playoff scenarios and matchups, um, Jacksonville is, should they win the AFC South, which they're looking like now? Yeah, they're looking like they're going to play an AFC North team, whether that's the Bengals, if they happen to lose to the Ravens in Week 18, or the Ravens themselves, who are the most likely to finish at the five seed. And like, I think it was, what, three weeks ago that, that the Jags and Ravens played, and the Jags um, ended up winning that game. So, yeah, I've, I would Good feel point. like the Ravens would want, would want revenge for that one. So it's going to be an interesting matchup if it comes to that
1: couple more here, and we will hop on out of here. But this is a little bit of an update on what's going on. There's two things with the Steelers. Josh Jackson, their defensive back, got uh, picked up by another team, but they also made a number of roster moves before this game coming up against the Ravens here, and I will note these here, the link in the live chat for folks, and you can see uh here here they are for you signed linebacker tay crowder to the 53 man roster off of the giants practice squad they placed marcus allen not the, not that marcus allen a different marcus no, Allen, okay. on injured reserve and signed safety scott nelson to the practice squad and then again as i mentioned josh jackson a, a former defensive back of theirs got picked up uh as well so making some moves i i all on defense for the Pittsburgh Steelers.
2: This has nothing to do with those moves, but just watching that game Saturday night, three days after the death of Franco Harris in the game, where it was supposed to honor Franco Harris. I feel like we all kind of knew how that game was going to end. And the Steelers ended up winning on a game winning drive against their 1970s rivals. So good for my mom though. She's a Steelers fan. She almost shed shed a tear there. There
1: you go. A lot of kind of poetic justice from the Steelers side of things on that one. And then of course, you know, the bang or the uh, a lot of similarities to kind of the Franco Harris era where it's you know, it's cold, it's windy and terrible weather, it's late in the year and all kinds of stuff. It just kind of uh, was very uh, Steelers ish, Franco Harris ish. Obviously, his death, uh, quite a shock, not not something that was you know, uh, expected in terms of a long term illness or anything, at least that I've heard so. A uh, rough one there, but uh, they did win one for Franco Harris on that one. And then, of course, this is just – it's an opinion piece on dogs by nature, but, man, <laughs> sobering one. If you are a Cleveland Browns fan, will the Browns ever get it right? Um, I'm inclined to just answer that no. <laughs> uh, they, they just keep doing things that make you scratch your head. They – you know, right when you think they turn a corner, they go, you know, four steps back again. And quite honestly, it makes you feel a little bit like some of the Bengals teams we had witnessed uh, in the past regime here, Marvin Lewis's era. And uh, I don't know that. So just an interesting read here, dogs by nature from Thomas Moore. And you see here the subheader, despite seemingly Doing many things correctly, the Browns continue to flounder. Is there hope they can find whatever it is they are missing? So very interesting article. I'm sure Bengals fans would have a lot to say about that. But, uh, you know, uh, you could just go through a myriad of different things here with this article and the Brown struggles.
2: Well, even if you do many things correctly, if you don't do the most important thing correctly, which is, I don't know, not find a terrible person to play quarterback and give up four for three first round picks and 250 million guaranteed. That's kind of a big roadblock in, in your way there. I guess when it comes to Fight. expectations for the Browns this year, like I, I don't think anyone really expected them to make the playoffs, but it kind of ended up being the inverse of what people may have expected. Whereas Jacoby Brissett ends up being their best quarterback and Deshaun Watson's rust is just way too much for them to overcome. And despite Brissett being solid for what 10 11 weeks they were still like a losing team or they were still not really in the conversation for the playoffs they were losing almost in spite of how efficient he was playing so they got decent football out of their backup that was playing for Deshaun Watson and they just couldn't do enough to you know withstand the terribleness that Deshaun Watson has been in, in these three or four games since his return so this was never I think a serious year for the Browns and they're going to put all their chips in to the next handful of years and hope that Deshaun gets it right
1: now you can see here more talks about the Pittsburgh Steelers as kind of the model franchise and then obviously talking about Deshaun Watson and whatnot in there as well so really well thought out article and one that probably had a little bit of emotion behind it and uh you know unfortunately for browns fans it, it rings true based on what we've seen from them that backslide from that great 2020 season they had and uh they even when you think they've got something at quarterback you know it just carousel spins and spins and spins again for them and that's that but that's going to do it also for us on this week's aftermath we got to some headlines we talked about the win over the patriots and of course the Leo Collins injury, Hakeem Adenji in the lineup and everything in between. Hopefully you enjoyed it and we'll be getting you more this week on the Cincy Jungle Podcast channel. John, let's let's wrap it up, but anything you wanna get off your chest here before the new year comes to pass?
2: Not necessarily. Just hope everyone had a safe holiday wherever you were in the country. If it happened to be impacted by a blizzard, I know people in Southern California didn't really have anything. No, to we do got with rain that, coming. But... tonight though. We got rain. Coming oh tonight. wow! Rain in what fifty forty degrees? Yeah, very, very I, do, you want me,
1: do you want me to tell you what it was on Christmas Day weatherwise? Uh, I think you. you I, actually don't. Okay. I actually don't. Okay, I actually don't.
2: Okay, I won't. But but I hope everyone drove safe, stayed home, had fun, watched the Bengals win, and. Hopefully, they will get another one Monday.
1: It, it rhymed with in the heavens. Uh, that's I'll that's that. too much information, man. <laughs> too much. Uh, I don't have much either. We've got more coming later this week uh, to preview this one. We, we're going to try and get some special guests for this big game coming up here and see what we can do about that. But uh, we appreciate your time. We appreciate you guys tuning in live. Or after the fact, whether it's on your favorite audio streamer, whether it's on YouTube, the Cincy Jungle Facebook page, on Twitter, however you like to watch us, listen to us, we appreciate it. And uh, we'll Bengals got two more big games coming up, and then hopefully a lot more after that in the new year, in the postseason. John, take care. We'll we'll catch up later this week, my friend. Talk to you later.